Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. All right, welcome back to The Educated Home Buyer Live, where our goal is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. If the scenery looks a little bit different tonight, because it is, I'm in a hotel room in LA, Josh is in a hotel room. Where are you, Josh? Vegas. In Vegas. There we Vegas. go, baby. Vegas, baby. Um, no intro music somehow. That got all screwed up in this whole uh, process, but we're here tonight to answer your mortgage and real estate-related questions. This week, we've got some updates uh, on the housing market, You know, just pending home sales obviously decline. I think a lot of us have expected that. We saw mortgage applications decline. But over the past week, uh, you know, the biggest change in the market has absolutely 100% interest rates. I mean, I think we've seen interest rates rise. Correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, probably a full percent in about a month. Um, you know, we were trading somewhere in the in the high four, maybe 5% range, close to 5%. And we saw um, rates go, you know, six, even close to 7% um, here recently, right? And today we had uh, a big pullback in rates, a big pullback in the 10-year bond. And with that, I'm going to throw it your way and kind of, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about it because I haven't followed it today. I've been a conference. I know you have to follow it. It's your job. Uh, but let's talk about what we saw today, why we saw it, and kind of what that's going to lead us to here maybe over the next couple of weeks. Let's put it in context since the last time we were here with everyone uh, last Wednesday. So last Wednesday, we were talking about the Fed meeting. Um, Fed remained very hawkish, said uh, we're going to inflict pain on the economy. We're going to continue to tighten. Um, we're going to do anything required to get inflation under control. Knee-jerk reaction, as we've seen the last few Fed meetings, was for rates to, to get worse. But by the end of the day, we had seen some improvement. So we're on air last Wednesday going, well, it looks like um, we're, we're going to be okay and kind of still stick at that time in about the 350, 355 range on the 10-year Treasury. Um, but the fun was just getting started. Last Thursday, we had a big bad day where 10-year yields went from the 354 to 370 in a day, um, kind of normalized Friday, and then shot up again Monday, shot up again Tuesday with a lot of volatility. Like it's not just, it is a straight line up, but throughout the day, big up and then correction and then back up. Um, today, so so what, what caused that? If the Fed acted on Wednesday, why did the market go nuts on Thursday? So um, the, the finance minister for the Bank of England came out with a mini budget, they're calling it. I haven't had the time to dig into it too deeply, um, but basically uh, the, the economy, the, the markets uh, in the, across the world, but especially in England, looked at it and said, this is highly inflationary. Um, they're going to continue spending and they're not going to get their inflation under control. So UK bond yields shot through the roof. They were up a percent, over a percent, I think 1.4 percent um, in the last seven days. Obviously, that creates massive problems for the market. When you say you're starting somewhere around three and you end up at four and a half, that's a 50 percent movement in a week. We don't see that in, in a decade. We haven't seen that in a decade. So our markets are highly correlated. If I pulled up the chart of UK bond yields and treasury yields, 
incredibly highly correlated, um, except for a brief period of time from 2016 to 2017. So with that, um, we got to take the ride with them. They were up uh, almost 150 uh, basis points, one and a half percent in yields. Thankfully, we were up uh, less than half of that. But again, a brutal run up. So you and I were talking, Jeb, before we came on air here and said, why if 10-year yields went up 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6, let's say from 3.54, yesterday we peaked at 3.96. Well, so, didn't, didn't we hit over four overnight? Overnight, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was trading. It was trading over uh, overnight over four, and then the Bank of England steps in and announces a new plan where they're going to buy bonds. So again, this is not a solution, um, but they said, "Hey, our carotid, uh, what is this? Our, our jugular is over here shooting blood out. Um, we're going to put a bandaid on it. We're going to buy some more bonds." So for the time being, markets like that, and we closed today at 372. So 18 basis points up from before the Fed meeting or before last Thursday when things went bad. But what does that mean? It means interest rates should be up less than a quarter percent from where they were last week or from the, the best levels of last Wednesday to the worst levels of yesterday, less than a half a percent. But we saw almost a full percent. So Jeff, yeah, what we were talking crazy. about is mortgages um, are pooled into securities and sold on Wall Street. They have to go into a pool within 1.125% of the note rate. So right now, rates had shot up so quickly over the last four weeks that there's no volume of trading in the six and a half or the 6% and the six and a half percent Fannie Mae coupon, meaning note rates up to seven and an eighth or 7.625. So that doesn't mean that lenders aren't going to put those loans on the books. It means they have to do some math and guesstimation to figure out how to price them. So as you can understand, when you're making large wagers with millions and billions of dollars, you're going to be pretty conservative. So they just priced horrifically um, the first couple of days this week. That big run we saw on Monday, to give you an idea, um, a product that we price a lot of. In Southern California, we have a lot of condos that are above the high balance loan limit, so above 647, 201. Um, uh, 674, 201, whatever the number is. It's been a long day and I'm in Vegas. Um, but with, with that, um, on a high balance condo, you have a three quarter uh, point hit to, uh, to the fees for it being a condo with less than 25% down and being a high balance purchase with less than 25% down. You also, depending on the FICO and LTV can have more. So oh, generally over two points of hits. So in a normal market, we say, okay, to absorb two points, of hits, no one wants to pay two points at closing, we bump the rate a half of a percent. On Monday and Tuesday, that was looking like a full percent. We were pricing those out at like 7.625 with one point. And that's largely due to the lack of liquidity in these higher coupons, just lenders were having to guess. So we saw a lot of correction today. To, as of today, we could do you know seven and a quarter, seven and three eighths with zero points on that, which is a massive move in two days and a much bigger move than what we saw in the market. So the things that you guys are seeing in the news, hey, rates went from six and a quarter to seven and a quarter. Is it true? Yes, it's true. Is it permanent? Does it mean that's what actually happened with interest rates? Um, not necessarily, but we're going to find out as we go forward. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Like if you follow like, everyone always asks, they say, what's a good website where we can follow interest rates, right? And so you often refer them to Optimal Blue. And then a lot of people on here look at Mortgage News Daily, right? It's a great site for just information on all things housing, real estate related, right? They have like a, you know, a, a stack at the bottom with different articles and all of that. And, and they also track interest rates and the bonds and what have you. 
you know, today it was looking at what, seven and a quarter percent or something on their rate. As of the end of day, they're taking, you know, 6.625. So it's almost a half percent difference in where they were quoting rates earlier today versus where rates are at the moment. So that improvement um, was massive. Um, and, and I think we can both come out and admit, Josh, that rates are a lot higher than either of us thought they would be, um, you know, and putting a lot of confusion out there with regards to like, you know, not necessarily the direction of housing, but like what happens with home sales? Like, I think we, we've already seen home sales decline substantially. Like most of the predictions at this point are putting, you know, year in somewhere around 4.8 million or so, like give or take a little bit. Right. Whereas last on, year, we on an annualized up, basis, so on an annualized basis. Right. Yeah. Whereas last year we were at 6 million. So you're talking, you know, what, 20%, basically 20% less um, than, than last year. And that's huge. And I think, you know, if rates stay at these levels, there's there's that gridlock, if you will. There's that, you know, that old fashioned standoff where it's like, hey, I'm a seller. I'm not selling my house because my rate's too good. And then you got buyers going, well, I'm not buying your house because rates are too high. And then so what happens to housing? And that's kind of like the like, I don't know. Right. I mean, we've never been in a position um, where we've had so many people locked in at artificially low rates where they absolutely don't have a choice. And I think for anybody out there that's, that's looking at the housing market and has some fear and has some worries about the direction of, of housing, if you own a house and you own a, a, a property that has a fixed payment, you don't have to go anywhere, then there's nothing to really concern yourself with. Whereas if you have a house that's on the market and it's not selling, there's obviously that's something that you got to think a little bit more about, like, you know, as interest rates increase, if they continue to do so, you're moving into a slow time of year, this, you know, you've got to think, how badly do I need to sell this property? And what do I need to do in order to offload it? And maybe in some cases, it's reducing the price, maybe it's offering incentives, maybe it's doing a, a couple of different things. And so I'm sure we're going to talk about this a lot more as we go through today's video. But I just want to like, you know, we're in uncharted territory. Um, and, and I'm not coming out saying my view on the housing market has changed. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, I still don't believe a housing crash is, is anywhere in the cards, but a, a, a real slowdown in housing is what we're experiencing. It's a lot different than, than the last two years. And there's a reason that people out there, I mean, you have a reason to feel unsettled with, with the volatility in the market and just kind of the unknown. I mean, Josh follows a lot of really smart people and, the smart people aren't getting it right either. So it's they're, like, they're, they're as am I, I'm following as well, but he follows a lot more on interest rates. So anyway, so Jeff, let's, let's circle back. You said something important. We were, we were wrong. Anytime you're projecting forward, there's a number of underlying assumptions that you have to make. So what were we wrong about? The thing that we were wrong about was, was interest rates. Um, and if you go back and you watch what we were talking about in uh, December, January said, you know, do I see rates going to 5%? No, I don't. You know, worst case would be high threes, low fours. I mean, that's a 20, that's a 30, almost a 35% increase in one year. That's a huge increase. Instead, we've seen a hundred percent increase with a monster increase. So when you, when you look at that, um, what did we project for the housing market? Well, even with rates at 4%, affordability is manageable. You still have buyers and you still have people willing to sell because ah, I don't like giving up my three, three and a quarter for a 4%, but it doesn't, it's not a stab in the neck. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, now 
what have we got? We, and there's there's two pieces. I said something else, and I said we're, we're never going to see rates at five and a half, six and a half, seven percent again. And the rationale behind that still holds is that the government cannot afford it. I haven't trotted this one out in a long time, Jeb, but um, when Obama came into office, this isn't about politics. I'm just putting the timing. So what was that, 2008 when Obama took office? Yep. $7 trillion national debt. We are just heading into the Great Recession. So eight years of Obama, four years of Trump, four years of Biden, covid all of them opened up the checkbook and went nuts from $7 trillion to $30 trillion national debt. So let's say you have your credit card maxed at $20,000, but they would take the rate down to zero and give you two years off on payments and you go, I'm going to run that dude up to $80,000. Well, imagine if you're the government, that's what they did. They went from $7 trillion to $30 trillion, and to a degree, they control interest rates. The massive failures of the Fed continuing to stimulate all the way through 2021. And now, so overstimulated late into the recovery. And now they're going to uh, over uh, contract here as we come to the end of it is making these, these large um, swings that, that can't hold over time. So where I was going with that, if you look, you know, we've had sub 2% treasury yields for the last three, four years, and, and a 3% treasury yield was was high on a 10 year. So they go from, from months all the way out to 30 years in terms of how, and that's how the government finances the debt. Well, our government hasn't really felt the pain yet because they've only been raising rates for 6%. So only the the 90 day notes and the, the not even the one years yet have come due and had to be refinanced again. But let's say we get one year down the line, three years, five years, seven years. The five and the seven and the 10 are the preferred. If you look at the bulk of U.S. Treasury securities, that 30 trillion of national debt is primarily in five sevens and tens. So if rates stayed this high and they start rolling all of that debt over at 4% or three, three, six, five, whatever we are today, three, six, five isn't all that painful. Um, four, four and a half, five percent. Our government, look at what debt service is. The reason why the 30 trillion has not been painful is because the debt service didn't go up. Debt services stayed flat. Debt service is going to go through the roof. Our government cannot have rates this high. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, there's re other reasons why rates should come down, not back to 2%, 3%, but much lower than they are right now because our government has to have them lower. No, and it brings an interesting point, right? I mean, everyone always talks about, um, you know, it's essentially the, the people locked in their house. Yeah, they're locked in until they lose their job. So what my question is, is this. So some, you guys help me. I'm going to put a poll up here. I want you to answer it because I, I guess I'm confused as to what would happen if I lost my job. And maybe I'm uh, just weird in, in this sense. Hold on, I got I to gotta unlock this somehow. I don't know what happened here. What, what did I do? Um, I gotta, it won't let me, let's see here, click the, hold on, all right, okay, okay, later, all right, let's see if this works, I don't know if it will work or not, because it's, uh, I'm on a computer here that I haven't used before, um, share screen, let's see, window, is this the window, can we share it? It's fun working from laptops, isn't it? Office setups. 
Uncheck and restart it. Yeah, so I'm not getting what I want out of this thing. Um, let's try it one more time. So we're going to check that. We're going to go to Google Chrome. Advanced. All right, hell, I don't know, guys. Well, I mean, I guess the question is, if you lose your job, are you going to get another job or are you just going to sit at home? Like, really, if you lose your job, do you go out and try to find another one? Or do you just sit there and just say, oh, shit, I lost my job. I guess that's it. <laughs> well, I guess the world's over, guys. I guess I'll be homeless. I'm, I'm just, you know, huh, this sucks. Or maybe you think it's like student loans and it's just going to be canceled and you'll just sit there until somebody cancels it. I don't know. But I think most Americans are going to, I would say most Americans, most logical people are going to get another job unless you're just lazy, you know? Um, so anyway, I was going to do a poll on the screen. I can't get the freaking thing to work. So we'll, we'll leave it out for now. But I think I already know the answer is you're going to get another job unless you're a moron. And if you're a moron, then you deserve whatever happens to you. Um, so I, I, you know, a little bit of bluntness there, but it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Some of the stuff we, you know, that people come across, I mean, they come up with, it's like mind boggling to me. Yeah, no, again, when you, when you, when you've rented all the way through, um, a, a bull market, like the last couple of years, it gets, it gets painful to acknowledge that, that you missed it. And, you and what's even worse is when you walk up the stairs and you have to see your parents every day. You know, because you live in the basement. I mean, it sucks. It does. It sucks. But it's the reality. Um, so that's where we're at. So, guys, hey, thanks for being here this week. We're not going to have fun polls because I can't get my computer to work. So it's just going to be Josh and I talking for this entire time. But, no, in all reality, um, you know, like always, if you have a question, start it with question. It helps um, us see the question. Helps us kind of categorize some of these things so we can find them easily. Super chats always get priority, as you guys know. Um, but Josh, anything we want to touch on before we dive into some of these questions? Um, no, that, that it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good coverage on, on where we're at. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, if you look, so it, it's funny. Um, my, I, I never thought that it would come to this, but my YouTube feed has, uh, one of the feeds across there is news. And you talk about watching interest rates when Google watches you looking at, um, housing news and mortgage rates everywhere. It feeds you a lot of that. So, um, saw an interview with Jeremy Siegel, a very respected economist with the Wharton School, yep. and he's saying the Fed is out of their minds and they're going to be cutting aggressively by the middle of next year. He's a very smart dude. I'm not going to argue with him. But then I forget who uh, else. Oh, then they pop up Mohammed El Arian, and you look at it. Also a very smart dude. And he's yep. like, no, more, more, pain, more pain ahead. Yields are going to go higher. Yeah. So um, the, the short run is very, um, very unclear. The, the longer run, um, it, interest rates are going to correct. Once you lose, um, once you lose momentum, it doesn't just, even if rates went back down to 3% tomorrow, the rate wouldn't go back, uh, the market wouldn't go back to where it was in January. That, that momentum, the, the animal spirit, so to speak, of everyone wanting to jump in, I got to get in, get yep. this, you're not recapturing that. So you don't go, even if rates go back to where they are, you don't go from 6 million to 4.8 million back to 6 million. So we're going to see um, decreased volume going forward. Crazy people who think there's a recipe out there for a housing market crash, who think 20% or crazier yet, 30 or 40% decreases in, in home prices 
don't understand how the market works and how homeowners react. Again, we went through the numbers a couple of weeks ago during the Great Recession, which was caused by housing and bad loans, which we do not have. Unemployment went up to about 12 percent at its worst. We're looking at the Fed cannot, despite hiking rates, impact interest rates, um, uh, impact unemployment and get it higher because that will slow the economy. That's what they're hoping for. But we haven't seen that impact at all. So if unemployment were to go to 6.7%, it gets you back down to a 2% treasury rate. So I don't think we're going to see 6.7%. You're going to see 6%. You're going to see four and a half, five percent And we're going to see a normalization somewhere in the middle. So it's just, you know, it's fun. People who read headlines and then quote and say, well, this isn't reality because my favorite, uh, my favorite doom and gloom site tells me that the market's going to crash. I don't understand numbers, but I'm going to say people who actually read and analyze and look at real numbers don't know what they're talking about. Now, good stuff. So enough about that. Let's actually do what we're here to do. And that's answer questions to actually people that that have something valuable to say. Um, and the most valuable comment so far is clearly Chris says, Josh looks like all loan officers look in 2022. <laughs> it's been a rough year. So, you know, Josh, Josh looks so young until like May and then yeah. May hit and the guy fell apart. It's amazing. Uh, if, you, if you think I look bad, you should see how I feel. <laughs> Um, Yastenya, Yastenya says, can you please tell more about the housing market in Williamson County, Tennessee, especially Spring Hill? Don't know it well enough to be able to give you any information. Um, if it's anything like the market that I'm in at the moment, which I'm going to tell you a little bit about here, it's slow. It's slower than it has been. Um, but that doesn't mean, uh, that the, the world's falling apart. And, and what I mean by that is I have, uh, I had three offers out for three different clients this week. Um, one client wanted to offer quite a bit below the asking price. So the property is listed at eight, I think eight ten. Um, they were previously in escrow at like seven ninety, um, so not that far off. And, and seven ninety was was a reasonable number for the property. Um, that's not a huge discount. It's probably what about what it should have been selling for. So happens divorce situation. Guy no longer qualified. Once he saw how much money he was getting, he had to back out. Property comes back on the market. I have a client that's looking for a second home here locally. They want to come in. Initially, they're willing to, to come back in at what the property was in escrow at. After thinking about it, they wanted to re readjust their offer and come in at $760,000 cash. Okay, so seven ninety dollars uh, to seven sixty. dollars that's $30,000. So um, on a $760,000 price, what's that? Three and a half percent or so. Um, seller basically tells us to go pound sand. So goes nowhere, right? Another offer just got accepted. Um, basically at the asking price, we were able to, a $695,000 property, we were able to get a $10,000 credit uh, to help the client buy down the interest rate. So solid loan there. Another one negotiating for brother and sister-in-law. Um, below the asking price, we are pretty close to finalizing the offer. I mean, we were really, really close. There was only one. I've heard that off. for days now, Jeb. We, we were close. Um, they, they wanted to rent back the property. The sellers did for $120 per day um, for up to 29 days, which would have netted uh, my clients 35-ish hundred dollars somewhere in that ballpark when their mortgage was going to be about $7,000. So they were like, no, we want the full PITI. We went back with that. In that time, they got another offer, accepted the other offer. Um, so that negotiation for three or four days, another offer comes in, ends up a multiple offer situation. They accept that offer and move on. So anybody tells you that houses are not selling clearly is not in the market. Now, 
and, and again, that this is Southern California. Real estate's local, so you got to pay attention to what your market's doing. At the same time, I talk about this every week, what's happening with inventory, right? So inventory, week over week, this week is pretty much the same um, as last week. So I, we came on the show today, 3,598 properties in Orange County. Um, Huntington Beach was 226. I think last week, pretty close numbers within a, within a couple of numbers there. Um, so not a big move either way. So with that being said, you know, anybody tells you inventory is continuing to increase and go crazy. No, it's slowed. But because that big jump in buyer demand, I mean, that big jump in interest rates, you're going to see buyer demand on existing home sales and pending home sales like in, you know, in these next reports, they're going to be bleak. I mean, they're not going to look good because interest rates rose so much. So many people backed off and it's just a sign of the market, right? It's a slower housing market. Uh, back to a more normal market. Now, this isn't a normal market no, either, this one, this one's not but normal. it's a lot more normal than the market that we were in for the last two years. I mean, to be completely honest, it's it's what a, what I would normally um, say is a normal market versus people going way above the asking price, waiving everything. Because I've never, I mean, I've been doing this almost 20 years, Josh, and I never had that ever, like where the demand was so strong that people were doing craziness. I've been through markets like we're in now where things are, you know, kind of a buyer's market, kind of a seller's market in some regard, and and things came to tr seem to trudge along. And that's kind of where we're at. You're going to see a slower housing market for the, probably the next six months. I mean, it's not, not a lot's going to happen, guys. So, um, but at the same time, I don't necessarily think you're going to be able to, you're not going to see, you know, 30% haircuts, right? People tell me that. And then I say, send it to me. Like I want, if you are, are reading or watching this right now and you're saying, I saw a house that sold for 30% below the asking price. Send it to me. I want to see it. I want to be proved wrong. And not because like I'm making fun of you. I'm just saying, really, I do. I want to see it and want to see the data. Because if that's happening, I'd love to know what market it's happening in, um, for one, because it's not happening here in Southern California. And I network with a lot of top agents all across the country. And they're not seeing it either. So let me know where it's happening. Send me the information. I'm happy to put it out there. Happy to say you sent it to me. I'm happy to say I'm wrong if I'm wrong. Like yeah. we started the show by saying I was wrong, right? About rates. I was wrong. But housing is still doing exactly what we kind of said it would for, you know, the last couple of months. It's 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 moving sideways down in some markets and flat in others. So um, Jeff, that's where hearing, we're at. Hearing people's responses, it, it tells you that people don't like to listen as much as they like to hear what they would like to hear. So you're saying that um, we're not seeing a flood of supply. Sellers are not coming off of their prices, but there's definitely less of them coming to market. There is less supply. That is what is holding prices stable because we absolutely have less demand. I have an example here. Um, that condo program that I was talking about earlier, I have a client here in Orange County. They're looking at a condo that's going to end up somewhere between eight and $900,000, depending on where they end up at. And the craziness on Monday, at the end of the day, Monday, they said, hey, we're, going, we're celebrating our one year anniversary. We're going to Hawaii. We might think about picking this up when we get back. As of right now, we're out of the market. That's not that's not a, a an isolated response. There are people who are just going, I have a threshold and I've hit it. So we have massively lower demand. Um, we have limited supply. And so far, we're seeing a, a big decrease in transaction volume, but we're not seeing a big decrease in transaction 
prices. So absent you getting an imbalance where there's a ton of supply coming to market and rates stay high and no buyers for them, you're not going to see this. You know, we've talked about this before. It comes back down to people will hold on to their home at all costs. When they let it go, it's because they have to. You cannot look back to 2008. Those people didn't qualify for the loans. They didn't have good credit. They didn't make any down payment. And their payments were twice what it cost to rent. Right now, we have people with a ton of equity. They made their own down payment. They have very good credit scores. And their home payment is much lower than it would cost to rent something equivalently. Does that mean that no one will lose a home? No, it doesn't but it means that there is no recipe for a large volume of foreclosures because those people will bite, scratch, claw, and do anything to hold on to that home. And absent 30 to 40 to 50% of the volume of homes for sale in the MLS being owned by the banks, you don't see big monster 20, 25% downturns unless you have sellers that have to liquidate properties like a bank who is not set up to own homes. They have to liquidate them at whatever cost. No, and, and the last thing, Josh, honestly, like let's not dive into this anymore like because we, we beat it to death, is that you need excess supply. We've talked about it. Supply is going the other direction, guys. Inventory is going the other direction. Could that change? Sure, it could. And at which point it gets to a point where it exceeds demand for an extended period of time you could see more price drops and if that happens i will gladly come on here and say things might be changing or things are changing but we're not there and for the time being we are still moving exactly like we said we were going to so with that being said let's actually talk about some real stuff here so logical thinker says what are your thoughts on rocket mortgages new rate drop protection that allows one refinance up to three years after closing with reduced costs are you familiar with this josh a thousand percent. And okay. let me yeah. let me start with the, the nice things that you can say about Rocket. One of the greatest marketing organizations in the world. You can't go a day without hearing multiples of their messages. Logical Thinker has seen their newest, latest, greatest lie that they want to tell. Um, if I wanted to build the largest lender in the world, the McDonald's of mortgages, I would go about building Rocket. Um, this is a marketing message. If you like the idea of push button, get mortgage, you think their app is great, their commercials are wonderful would never not want you to shop them. I want all of my clients to call Rocket and get a loan estimate and see what those numbers look like. They load up box A so fat. So first of all, what they do to make their rate competitive with what you're seeing quoted in the market, they will put points in box A. They will have uh, many other fees. So look, when we talk about box A, box A is the important part. And what they're saying is, hey, on a purchase, we don't control all those other fees. We'll discount those fees on a refinance. The rates are atrocious. Their fees are high. So discounting them, you still have a bad rate and you still have high fees. Every lender on the planet wants a relationship with you. We made a ton of money in 2020 and 2021 because we made people happy in 2020. 2002, 2011, 2015, 16, 17. And those people called back and said, hey, can we do a refi? So just the the, the difference on a $500,000 purchase, you're going to have about, with us, about four or $5,000 of closing costs. With Rocket, you're going to have seven to $12,000 of closing costs. When you come back to refi, that four or $5,000 of closing costs 
it's about $2,000. If we get an appraisal waiver, it's $1,500, $1,600. So it's, again, it's wonderful marketing. They want to tell you they're the number one JD Power rated lender in the country. Well, they only rate giant big box lenders. It would be like between McDonald's, Wendy's, and Burger King, we have the best burgers. Does that make it the best burger in the country? No, it's the best shitty burger you can get when you're driving cross country. So this is just more marketing to tell you what a wonderful thing they're, they're doing for you when they're still going to overcharge you. Okay, so while we're on the talk of burgers here, side note, guys. So I'm at a conference in L.A. Um, for video creation, Vid Summit's what it's called. So Mr. Beast is is here, and and you, many of you guys have probably heard of Beast Burgers, right? Um, brand deal, whatever. So he's now physical locations. So they bring in Beast Burgers today. Honestly, I'm not like one of the better burgers I've had, like hands down. It sounds crazy because it was trucked in. It was probably cooked 30 minutes before I ever got it. But dude, like not like a, a McDonald's patty, like a hand pressed burger, like big pickles, like good burger guys. So I don't know. I just thought I'd mention that. Cause he said burger. I had a burger today. I thought it was really good. There you go. So if you're thinking about Mr. Beast burger, eat one. Meh. Falsificationism. Say that three times fast. Uh, could we ever raise rates so high the market shifts to mostly all cash buyers and big institutional buyers? I say no for all the things that you said earlier um, about the economy not being able to support the, the debt load and all of that without going rehashing back all into that. Josh, I'm assuming you're probably somewhere in that ballpark as well. Well, here, this is this is what I, I say. You know, we had this discussion earlier this week. People don't understand why home prices went as high as they did in 2020 and 2021. So when you have very low interest, people don't care about the price of the asset. They care about the payment. So the payment was reasonably affordable. Not affordable, but reasonably affordable. So we had plenty more people who could buy the homes than we had homes available. Let's say rates went to 10%. You have an affordability threshold, and this varies by market. For us in Orange County, California, that's generally been about 17%. And we started the year, I think, 22 23% affordability. So you're saying we've got room to roam. Well, we don't anymore. We have no room for home prices to go up because we've hit that wall. Um, the Bay Area, I believe, has been even lower. Um, and, and throw out 2008 because people weren't actually qualifying for those loans. So when I say 17%, it's been in, in normal historical times when people have to qualify for their loans. In Orange County, we went down to 11 or 12% in, uh, in 2008 because people could just lie and say, I make enough money to qualify for this. But long way of saying in this, um, no, the shift wouldn't be that only cash buyers and big institutional buyers, you would see a decrease in prices. Prices have to come down to that threshold of affordability. If rates go, I mean, we have some people here in the, in the thread that think rates are going to eight or 9%. So, okay, could they? Um, yes. And if they did, do home prices have to come down? Um, they do because like you run out of buyers. There's not enough buyers at all. We've taken demand down to such a low level that it has to correct. So let's say rates go to 12%. No, prices come down enough that you have 22, 23, 25% of the population that can afford to buy and it stabilizes and you still have those people coming in. But that, that combination, affordability, which is a function of incomes, interest rates, and home prices dictates what can happen from here. So if anyone was telling you, hey, home prices are going to go to the moon, they have to tell you why are incomes going to go up or why are interest rates going to go back down even lower than they were. So our, our best case here is, again, we've lost the momentum 
you know, we're likely to, to ride sideways if rates normalize somewhere in the four to five and a half percent range. If they stay for an extended period at six and a half, seven, seven and a half percent, you will see price corrections, not a home price crash. You will see price corrections. Now, oh, good stuff. So we got a couple super chats coming here that we're going to touch on. Um, let's see here. The first one was from uh, Praxia. Praxia. Uh, what is the real story on general U.S. housing demand in the next five years or so? Demographics versus new builds and existing homes going to market. So Good demographics question. are interesting. Um, you still have a percentage of the millennial population that's turning um, prime home buying age. Uh, at the same time, you've got the the largest uh, population of, of which is going to be what Gen Zs. Is that behind millennials? Is it Gen Z or Gen Y? What the hell are they? Gen Z? I'm too old. I don't know any of that. Stuff. <laughs> I forget. Well, whoever's behind the millennials, um, they are actually a larger demographic than the millennials uh, as a as a whole, in, in my understanding. So you have those people turning prime buying age. So that prime buying age is 33 years old. Why 33? Because that's typically the age at which most people buy homes, right? Um, and so, but that none of that means anything unless people can actually afford to buy a home. So a lot of this is questionable to some extent. I mean, you need you need supply, you need inventory in the market, um, and you need more inventory or at least balance inventory versus demand. So, you know, Josh and I talk about it weekly, willing and able um, demand, right? There's a lot of people willing to buy a house. I mean, Josh and I both, we, our phone rings all the time for people that want to buy homes, but there's a lot less people at the moment that can afford to buy these homes that are able, the, the willing and able, the able to buy homes because of where rates are. So, you know, recessions like we're going through right now, higher rates, guess what that does? That puts restrictions on home builders, not restrictions that say you can't build. It's builders putting restrictions on themselves saying we're not going to build because we're not going to get in a position where we have this huge amount of, of excess inventory. What that does is it kicks the can further down the road. We started the year somewhere five and a half, six million homes behind um, with regards to national supply. And depending on who you read, it's four to six million. So you could say four million homes. So with home builders stopping building, that means, you know, they that 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 demand that is going to turn prime buying age is going to need places to go. Without home builders building that, you don't have it. Um, and you could say new construction now, well, that's the 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 you know, what's going to solve it because you have all of these properties are going to hit the market at one time, or, you know, you've got these one and a half million properties that are out there. It's not a true one and a half million properties, but yeah, there will be some markets that have been overbuilt. Um, I don't know a lot of those markets personally, because Southern California, we don't have one of those markets that has a huge uh, boom in construction, if you will. I, if I had to guess, I would say areas like probably like Houston, um, areas that, um, you know, had a lot of building probably on the outskirts of the city, right? You can't, can't build in like Houston proper area anymore. So it, it, it moves further out. So now it's considered Houston, but you're still 10, 15 minute drive to or 20 minute drive to the city that those areas are, are going to be affected. Right. So what that means, I don't know. I it's, we don't know where rates are going to be. We don't know where truly supply is going to be. Um, but at the end of the day, people want to own homes for that that reason. I mean, it creates long-term generational wealth. Um, Josh, I mean, what, I mean, what can you add to this that, you know, the only thing that, that I would add, um, part of why this is problematic, we have, a, have multiple comments in here of people who do well, they've saved money, they've yep. got good credit, they've got a good job and they can't afford. Um, 
the new construction is not really solving that problem because the builders are not buying building as much at the low end. And, and there's reasons for that. A little bit of it is greed. So let's not ascribe it all to greed. The cost of land, the cost of permitting, the cost of materials, and then the builder wanting to make a profit on that means they're not building a lot of $325,000 homes. They're building a lot of $500, $600 million homes. It's, it's interesting that you say that because they actually sent out that chart the other day. Did you see that? I can find it while you talk if you want to talk for a minute. Yeah, no, just what I was saying is the, the new construction, that, that, that's not to say that new construction couldn't be problematic. What we are absolutely seeing, so we've talked to here on the show before that we don't see a lot of new construction in Southern California because we don't have a lot of open land. But in the Inland Empire, there is, there's infill stuff in Orange County. Um, and the builders um, in our area, for the most part, I have not seen outright discounting yet, but you've seen them giving closing cost credits, buying down rates, um, doing sure, lots sure. of things to compete aggressively. Um, and they're going to have, you know, you've shown the chart here before. I can't, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to email it to you, Josh. I can't do it on this thing because I got to restart Chrome. And if I restart Chrome, then it screws up. So I'm going to send it to you. You post it here in just a second. As I mentioned, I love, like, I like, love technology. It's great. My giant 49 inch screen. Technology is awesome. It's fantastic. I love it so much. No, but just just long way of saying the demographics are strong, but we go back to what we were just talking about. Affordability trumps demographics, willing and able demand. We have lots of people coming to prime home buying age with a, a willingness to buy homes. But if affordability doesn't come into control by either incomes going up, interest rates coming down or home prices leveling off. Um, there you go. It's in, it's in your uh in your thing there, put that up there when you get a second. Um, and then we'll, and when we'll touch on this other question, this other super chat we have. Um, so the, the chart that he's going to throw up there is actually showing the percentage, the prices of homes being built. Like you can see here, like, I mean, oh, there's clearly a problem, um, with regards to, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the the price points at which people are uh, are are focusing on versus you know twenty years ago. Can you do it? Yeah, I just, tell me I, you're getting yeah. the same problem. It would only make me happy if you had the same problem. No, I'm not. I'm having a different problem. It's just me on a laptop. You have to open things and then move different screens, and I've got different browsers here depending on where you. Send. Well, why you do that? Here, I'm a Miraha says offer accepted yesterday rates dropped today should i lock at 6% with 5.875% buy down for 6k or wait out the lock at 47% debt to income ratio so here's the thing i would lock at 6% i would not buy it down to 5.875% for 6 grand i mean what's that what's that eighth saving you a month i mean that's what i would really love to know what's the eighth saving you a month is it a couple hundred bucks divide that into the $6000 cost and see how long it's going to take you to recoup that cost. Because there's a really good chance that interest rates come back down below 5.875% at some point in the future. And uh, you're able to refinance without having to pay that cost. So let us know in the chat what what how much that's saving you, that eight. And then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll jump back into it and help you answer. So this right here, new home sales by price. Look at that. Look at where home sales by price. Now, granted, things have gotten more expensive. Home prices naturally have gone up. But look what builders are focusing on. They're focusing on higher, more expensive real estate. Why? It, for one, they make more money off of it. Uh, but secondly, you can see like 
that entry-level buyer is getting hammered because there's literally very little option in most of these, these markets for that, that type of house. And Jeb, what I would say is this movement in 2002 from 80% of homes built under 300,000 to 40% in January of 2020, that there is primarily a function of, uh, of just inflation, everything going up in, in price. So you're going to see that come down. But this falling off the cliff here, this is commodities prices going up, interest rates going down, people being able to buy more home, um, all of the things that we talked about. This is this is not good. I mean, if you saw this trend here just continuing, it's kind of what we would expect. It's this falling off a cliff here from 2020 forward. No, good stuff. So I, I don't see. Um, so thanks for posting that, Josh. I don't see uh, her comment coming back in saying the savings on that. Um, because again, I think, I think the answer is, is no, absolutely. Um, without seeing the savings, but I would almost tell you, I don't know, let, let Josh tell you more, um, about, uh, it's hard to say without the loan with an eighth of a percent. I mean, like you need to lock the loan and just be comfortable locking the loan. If you're comfortable to pay and move on and don't stare at rates every day. So that just my two cents. I, I, would, I, would, I would agree. We'd have to see the, the numbers. And in general, in, in a normal market, I'm not saying your lender is doing anything wrong. They may be. They probably aren't. Um, rate sheets look real goofy right now. So normally we would say one point, one percent of the loan amount would get you a quarter of a percent decrease in interest rate. So say six thousand dollars. If it's a six hundred thousand dollar loan, that should get you a quarter. You're saying it's only getting you an eighth. That break even is out over ten years. Um, you know, even if you think rates are going to eight or nine percent, uh, some point in the next ten years, we will get a refinance market where it's significantly lower than where rates are. And I don't now. think rates are going there. Um, Dan says, "Who is this uh, on with Jeb now?" So Josh is my local lender. So Josh um, and I are both in Southern California. Josh probably does ninety percent of my clients' loans. Um, known him for a long time. Um, super smart dude would trust. I mean, my own personal loans get done through Josh. So, you know, that he's on here as, as a, as a knowledgeable expert in the field, um, again, uh, to help guide you guys through the process and, uh, make sense of, of the craziness that we're going on. So he's my normally weekly guest and also co-host on, uh, the educated home buyer podcast, which you see there in the, uh, the top right. So I thought I was the face man, Jeb. You needed a pretty face here. That's what you are, bro. The (laughs) face man. Um, There was another question. Altaya Youngblood said, uh, he asked me if I'm at VidSummit. I am. I am here. I'm in a hotel room. Uh, Should be downstairs. I will be shortly. Um, But yeah, cool stuff. Um, Good stuff. So Josh, some more questions here. Um, Question. Did you think sellers would be interested in seller financing their home in this market? So here's the thing about seller financing. Most people, I, well, I can't say most people because a lot of people do own their homes free and clear. I don't know what the number is. It's, it's a pretty high percentage, like 30 something percent or something, Josh, like that have no mortgage on their homes at all. Most yeah. people, most yeah. people selling their homes, at least in my experience, most of them have a mortgage. Um, and, and so in order to do seller financing, you've, essentially got to be pretty close to owning your house free and clear in order to be able to make that whole um, seller financing aspect work. So I would say most sellers aren't interested in doing seller financing for that very reason. Um, They might be interested in it. They're just not able to do it or leverage it um, because they, they, they either need the money that they're taking out of that property to put into something else or, 
or whatever, or they just don't have enough equity in that property to be able to do it to start with. Jim, so, did you did you get to watch that video I sent you last night, or just the the little snippets I told you to check? Out? I just I just checked out the 108 method for, for at the end. Okay, so yeah. he's an investor in Phoenix, yeah. um, in the Phoenix market, Phoenix Metro. So I think he actually buys everywhere in Arizona, yeah. and he says the majority of his homes are bought from sellers one of two ways. Um, seller financing, mm-hmm. number one, um, and number two, subject two. Yep. So you guys are going, what in the hell is subject two, sub two? He's actually a sub, subject two guy. That's his old deal. Yeah. Yep. So what what you what would be more likely is what you are proposing. Let's say a seller has a 2.75 interest rate and you're not super comfortable with buying their home, um, but you have a big down payment. So you could, their, their house, they have a $300,000 loan, the house, they put a hundred thousand down and it's appreciated a hundred thousand dollars. They got 200 of equity. You would have to give them $200,000 and then take it subject to their financing. And there's some downsides to that. So where I was going with this, who's likely to accept a subject to offer someone in distress. We've talked about the distressed numbers here. The distressed figures are really, really low right now. So there's not a lot of those people, um, but he finds them. So they are out there. Um, and for, uh, for the seller financing, those are primarily older investors who are looking to get out of the market, but they're comfortable in that space. They're saying, hey, I don't want to be a landlord anymore, but I'm comfortable being a bank. On the way out here, I talked to one of my agents that I work with. She's also an investor and a flipper, and she's working on a $6 million deal that's 30 units. So it's not 30 properties. They're all two, three to four units. Uh, so, uh, 30 doors across multiple properties for 6 million in Southern California. And he's considering carrying some or all of the finance because he owns those all free and clear. He's 80 years old. He says, I'm tired. I'm done with being a landlord, but he likes getting his money every month. So what happened? No, I was just saying that. Oh, that's you, you just finished. Okay. Yeah, so. no, no. That, that's all there really is to it. No, no. There's understand. reasons why they aren't common. They're more common in the investor space. You need someone to uh, to have a big down payment. You need a seller comfortable with subject to financing, or like you said, a seller who has an investor mindset and owns a home free and clear. All right. Now, good stuff. Um, all right. So we got another another super chat from uh, Miraha. Miraha, uh, loan amounts five fifty. Buy down to stay below fifty DTI due to the recent rise in rates. So, with that said, rates came back today. So maybe there's an opportunity there now to get it without having to buy down that rate potentially. Um, but Josh, would, would an eighth of percent buy give you a three percent lower on your DTI? No, not, I mean, that seems... even, not even at a five hundred fifty thousand dollar loan amount. Right. There's just something not adding up about the numbers. So again, I'm not saying that your lender is doing anything wrong, but this is a perfect time. Um, to get a second opinion, just talk to someone and, and look it over. And people think, oh, you're trying to steal someone's deal or you're trying to get it to someone who's absolutely not. If someone is in good hands, the last thing I want to do, I don't want someone to be a dick to me. I'm not going to do that to them. We're just going to look it over and say, do these numbers make sense? And yeah, maybe it, these are the questions that you should be asking your loan officer to get this back on track because the numbers just seem a little bit out of whack. But again, to to any lender's defense, the market's nuts right now. So rate sheets have looked really weird. No, good stuff. Yeah, I just don't like it. it yeah, see, seeing that it's going to buy it down an eighth to get you 5.875 is going to lower your DTI to stay below 50 doesn't. Again, I, I don't even do loans anymore, but that that seemed odd to me. So again, like Josh said, talk to them, ask the right questions. Why are we doing this? Have rates improved? 
in the last couple of days? Does, you know, as, is there any changes where I don't need to buy it down and maybe again, talk to tech to one other person or something and, um, and just see where things are and, and then kind of revisit it. And Jeb, exactly uh, what you were saying. I told you there's a, a program that, that we quote that is about five eighths difference between Monday and today. The market didn't move that much in terms of bonds, but the rate sheets moved that much because of the craziness that's going on. So normally I wouldn't say, hey, something's going to be that much different from day to day. It could be massively different today versus yesterday. Good stuff. So um, Jennifer, who is a moderator here in the chat, a lot of you guys know Jennifer. Thank you for being here, Jennifer, um, has a question as well. So what are the chances you will ever invite our troll to join the stream to share his views? There's 0% chance. I like for one, like, here's the thing, like I'm all about spreading, like the, the channel was always about education. It still is. I mean, hence the podcast, right? The educated home buyer. It's about education. It's about not about telling somebody to buy a house, not telling somebody it's giving you information so that you can make a logical decision on your side. Right. Um, and, and the easy way to say that person's not a real estate agent, they're not a mortgage professional, they're not a financial planner, and quite frankly, don't know that they're very smart. So with all of that said, I don't know that I would. There's not been one it. piece of data in any of these comments, just yeah, so. regurgitation anyway. of clickbait. So the answer is, is this much. Yeah. Can you see it? I haven't even started drinking yet, guys. I mean, this is going to get fun. This is going to get really fun. I should. Are you drinking alone I'm tonight, not. or do you have Vid Summit friends? Oh, I have Vid Summit friends. I probably no, actually, I don't. I just I make that up. But I'll go make friends. Um, let's see here. So, Allie, actually, not Allie, because I clicked on the wrong one. KK Cohen says I'm interested in asking sellers to buy down points. I know why it would benefit me as a buyer, but how does it benefit the seller? Well, here's the thing. Um, it, it can benefit the seller in a couple of ways, but I think in this, in this environment at the moment, it's pretty easy to ask for that. Um, especially in, in having your agent talk to the other agent. I mean, I just did this on a transaction. It was, I mean, we asked for a, a seller buy down and they gave it to us. And basically it was like, look, rates have gone up considerably in the last couple of weeks. My clients at a point where like, Again, using sales, they can't afford it at that price. They have to buy down the rate. They love your house. They love it. They want to move forward with it, but they can't do it unless they have it. And most people are reasonable in this market and say, I get it. Like rates have gone up. Like, and the seller in most cases is what wants to sell the property. And we're not talking huge amounts here. I mean, this particular property was a $699,000 property. We got it for $695, asking for $10,000 credit. So the seller walked away with $685 sold for $15,000 or $14,000 less than the asking price. My client got what they wanted. The seller got, you know, less than 2%, um, you know, uh, below the asking price. We all move on. Like, it, again, it's pretty easy in this market to ask for it. Um, now, that conversation a year ago was impossible just because there was so much demand out there. Things have changed. Sellers want to sell property. And anybody... That, that is not willing to do that, especially with homes sitting on the market. It might be more difficult if the home just came to the market today um, you know, or, or within the last couple of days. It works well on properties that have been sitting a little bit. Uh, and, and I think that's the best opportunity. And be willing. I tell everybody, have a line in the sand. Be willing to walk to that line. And if you don't get you what you want, be okay with not crossing it. And be okay if they walk away and you have no property. right? I mean, I did this early in the week. Perfect example. Brother and sister-in-law last week, we put in an offer below the asking price. Um, they countered. We countered back. We said, we're not going any higher. And at that point, we were 
forty forty five thousand dollars difference on on uh, forty four thousand dollars difference on what we offered versus their counter offer. Right, our counters were forty four. We said we're not going any higher. They said, okay, we're going to take it through the weekend and see what happens. Now we we just made an offer. It had been on the market less than a week, so we made an aggressive offer within a week, and they didn't. No conversation for three days. They were doing open houses, doing showings, whatever. On Monday, they came back and said, hey, we're willing to accept your offer. At which point, they wanted our offer, but they wanted a partial rent back. My clients didn't want it. This is where I talked about at the beginning of the show. And so, and then another offer came in while we're in this second negotiation, and, and they got another offer and moved forward with it. But this, the story is we put our line in the sand. They came back to us willing to negotiate because we said, Hey, this is it. And and we stuck to that and it worked it. Well, it didn't really work out, but it, it was close to working out because we were, we were almost there. If we could have just agreed on that rent back, we would have had it. But anyhow, here we are. So, so you, you gave the story answer. Let me give the yep. number answer. Yep. If a seller gives you two points, I'm just going to pull an example. Like the last one here, it was five fifty. Let's make it easy. A $500,000 purchase, two points is $10,000. Um, drops the rate roughly a half percent, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. 300 bucks. You're going to save 100, about $165, $170 a month. If that seller cuts the price $10,000, it's only going to save you about $65, $60. So you get two and a half times the benefit to you at the same cost to the seller. So a lot of times, if you go in and say, hey, I want um, $50,000 off the price. They go, no, but I'll give you $15,000 credit or I'll give you $10,000 off and $10,000 credit. It's trying to find a common ground there because that's where we're at. Like we don't have sellers going, oh shit, am I lucky that I have someone making an offer? Just take it at whatever price and whatever you need. Um, they're going, well, I'm willing maybe to come off my price, but I'm not willing to do that. Just like you talked about back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until we come to a common ground. It's a way that you get a, a lower payment without them coming as far off of the price that they would like. Good stuff. Um, let's see what we got here. So going back to some questions, I was going to click on this one earlier. So Allie joined late. Not sure if you're still here, Allie. It is, um, that's been about an hour. Uh, sorry, best tips for first time homebuyers. Um, at the moment, I think patience. Patience is probably the best tip I can I can give. Um, outside of, you know, I, I think it's okay at the moment to to sit on the sidelines and kind of, you know, work on things, work on down payment, work on credit, work on patience. If the right property presents itself, then and you're okay with with the idea that home prices could move sideways and you're going to be there for an extended period of time. I think it's okay to buy a house, but you just got to be a little bit more careful now. This is not you know, 2012, um, when, you know, affordability was at, you know, I don't know what the percentage was back then. It was high 40% or something of, of, of people could, could afford the median price here in California. Whereas now it's like 16%. So, um, things have changed quite a bit. Uh, so, you know, it just gotta be more careful. The first time home buyers, I mean, the game hasn't changed, so to speak, like best tips are the same as they were, um, you know, uh, six months ago. I mean, you're still doing look, it's all about location. Um, you know, don't sacrifice on, on property, right. There's a, even though inventory has increased, um, a lot, most markets are still have levels below 2020, um, inventory levels, right. So we're, we're still down quite a bit, even though inventory's increased. So 
there's still a lack of certain properties out there in certain markets, right? You might be looking at your market going, I just can't find what I'm looking for in, 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 you know, in, in this particular price range. I still say don't sacrifice, don't do things um, just to get into a property because you think rates are going to go higher or you feel like you're going to get priced out of the market even more. I think it's just a time to make sure you're making the right decision. So outside of that, it's really hard just so, because we don't really know um, the direction. But I think if you're, you know, if you're trying to get a deal on the market, if you are a buyer now and you can, you can you, be aggressive, you know, the next two, three months, I think are a time to be aggressive. Um, if you can be, uh, especially with properties on the market during the holidays, I think it's, there's an opportunity there if, you know, cause people want to sell by the end of the year and a lot of, re- for a lot of reasons for tax purposes. Um, anybody has their home listed on the market during the holidays is a real seller most of the time. Um, so, you know, try to take advantage of it. And Jeb, here's here's some advice that, that I would always look at. When we were investing, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, you wanted the ugly, terrible house that things could be fixed. There's a little tweak that for $1,500, you can move a wall and fix a, a floor plan. Um, so where I'm going with that is if you're a first-time buyer, the more open and flexible you are, if you're going and saying, hey, the one trophy house in that neighborhood that's not the seller that's likely to negotiate. The middle of the road one, more likely, and the ugly duckling, the most likely. But you don't want a permanent problem. Would you be located next to the railroad tracks, but you would be happy with one that has this horrible, tragic flaw that you could do a little plastic surgery on and fix. So it helps to be flexible um, on your timing. There's we, we talked about this. There's no recipe for a rapid run up in home prices right now. So whether you buy now, next month, the month after that, if you have a lease coming up, there can be some additional costs in terms of a month to month, but there shouldn't be pressure to make a decision right now. So be open, keep your options open. And as we always talk about, Jeb, have a long time horizon. Don't be thinking that, hey, this is a short short window that I'm going to make a bunch of money. Um, have a five to seven year time horizon and get a bitchin' house and, and enjoy being a homeowner instead of a, a renter in your mom's basement. No, good stuff. Um, so this is a comment I want to, I, I mean, a comment that I want to comment on. So earlier I talked about the idea of, you know, people think, well, you know, I, I made a comment along the lines of these sellers are locked into their property, right? Most people are locked into their property because of super low rates, right? It, it puts this weird dynamic in the market. And all the comments at the beginning from negativity was like, well, what if people lose their jobs? That's when everybody's going to sell. They're going to get distressed. They're going to foreclose, whatever. And so my, my response was most people that lose their jobs, most logical people that lose their, are going to go get another job. I mean, that's what most people are going to do. And I'll use myself as an example here in just a minute, but the question is, if you lose your job, what's your say? You'll find another one that will pay you enough to cover your mortgage. So here's my thought on this. If I'm making, hypothetically, let's, let's say I'm making $5,000 a month and I lose my job. My job, my goal is to go out and find another job that's going to pay me $5,000 a month. If I find one that I like that only pays me $3,000 a month and that doesn't cover my bills, but then I'm probably going to go get another job or do something else to make up that money. I'm not just going to settle for making less money personally. That's me. Now, some people out there might just say, screw it, I'm going to take less and and I'll just foreclose or whatever. I don't think that's the majority of people. Maybe it is. But an example here. So real estate, okay, over the next six months is going to go down, right? Home sales are going to be less. Chances are my income is going to be affected by selling less homes than I sold um, or then I typically sell on a year just because of the gridlock between buyers and sellers in the market that we're in. 
So I'm going to make less money. So am I going to make less money and just sit here and accept it? Or am I going to make less money and try to go out and make that money up doing something else? The answer is I'm going to try to do other things to make up that difference in my income so that my lifestyle is not affected, right? And fortunately, I have savings and I'm in a different position than some people, but that's how my mind works. Now, if your mind works otherwise, where you just think that, you know, negativity and, and like, you know, the glass is half empty type stuff, then I, I can't help you. I mean, that's like, it's such a, a shitty way to think to begin with. It's like such a scarcity mindset versus like, I don't want to sound cliche, like an abundance, like you'll, you'll make it up. You'll figure it out. I, I, I don't know. I like, let's get, let, let's go I'm, back I'm, to this. Yeah. We, we, this is, uh, let's point out the obvious because people like to miss it. When uh, unemployment increases, which, which again, in the great recession, the greatest recession we've ever had, the second worst economy in the history of the country, besides the great 100%. recession, we hit 12%. Right. Most serious economists are struggling to figure out how we get to six and a half, seven percent right. unemployment. And when you dig into those numbers, they also project that's going to disproportionately be among low income people. So let's just take all that away. Inflation or unemployment is not going to go to double digits. Um, it's going to disproportionately affect lower income people who are unlikely to own their homes. So that is not to say that no one will find themselves in a position where they can no longer afford their home. It's not that no one has that situation. It's not that there are not a volume of people that bring supply into the market that they have to sell at any price. And the reason why people will hold on scratch and claw for dear life and that losing that home or selling it will be the last option is we talked about this before. The average loan to value in the country, again, this is average. It doesn't mean every person. It's 42%. Most of those people have loans anywhere from two and a half percent to four percent in interest. If you have a 42 LTV loan and you have a two and a half to four percent interest rate, your house payment is much lower than renting. So by all means, if you bought a house for $200,000 and it went up to 450 and your mortgage is down to 150 and you are hit the skids, you're going to sell the house if you have no other options. But you're going to realize, cool, I've got a chunk of money in the bank. It's going to have to get me through whatever period because I'm going to have to be a renter for a period of time. Most people, once they become homeowners, don't voluntarily choose to become renters. So this is not to say that it never happens. It does. But for it to impact prices on a major scale, you have to have this happen where 20, 30, 40 percent of the homes available for sale are distressed sellers that have to sell. And there's just yeah. not a recipe for that. Good stuff. So we got two questions, essentially the same question. David T is asking, do you think we'll ever see rates around 3% again? That's not an arm. And then we've got uh, Arslan. Ars Arslan? Uh, when do you think interest rates would come back down to 3%? So Josh, do you think we'll see 3% rates again? I mean, I'm not asking you to predict it. Um, 3%. It, it, it's not realistic anytime soon, right? No, no time soon. No time on the horizon. I would say there's 50-50 odds that we ever get back to lower rates than what we had before. So that's not I a like non -zero. my odds. I like my it, chances. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's not a non-zero. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't play Russian roulette with those odds either way, but um absolutely possible. And we could go in a long rabbit hole of what would have to happen. Like here's the thing, something when when someone else was talking and something here, what I would say is what do you have to believe for to go down this path? If, if you believe that home prices are going to drop 20 to 30%, you have to believe that unemployment is going to double digits. 
Very unlikely. You have to believe that interest rates. But there's a lot of people that do believe that, Josh. I don't think that's that crazy. Like, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that truly believe that. I mean, not serious serious people who actually have analyzed the numbers. No, no. But and I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying I think a lot of people think there are a lot of people who imagine it, but they don't know what it means. They don't. They have never looked at the numbers historically. What did the country look like when we hit those levels? What does it actually mean? It sounds fun to say it. And say, oh, this is going to happen. But where, where were we before? What was the recipe for that? So um, you have to believe interest rates are going to go even higher and remain elevated for an extended period of time. And you have to believe that unemployment is going much, much higher. And like it still doesn't give you the recipe because it would be a recipe for home price decreases, but not 20 to 30 percent correction. People throw around 20 to 30 percent like this happens. Like it, it happened once. And there was a, a, an obvious and logical reason for it. You have to believe there's a recipe for it to repeat. And that's crazy. Home prices having gone up monstrously over the last two years, which was not healthy, not good. And we sat here for two years and said, I don't control it. It is what it is. So you can either whine and complain about it or you, you accept it and find a way to work through it. And it's the same thing with the current market. I could whine and complain and say, oh, this sucks. We have so much less business than last year. Or you go, What's the play? Who can we help in this market? Who should be buying? Who should be financing? Who who needs help? Like, yeah. Uh, and here and we by go. the way, so, if so you're going to try and pull numbers out of your ass, get a real number. The average American does not spend 46% of their income on housing. The average homeowner spends less. I mean, if you're saying the average renter, yes, correct. So that's a 46% number for the average renter. Know your numbers if you're going to sit over there and run off at the mouth about things you know nothing about. And so uh, we got this clown saying, why does Jeb block people to disagree with him or point out the faults? Dude, nobody gets blocked. Everybody gets their comment. I mean, we've even got, I mean, I'll, Graham, Graham says, I have never been blocked and I disagree with Jeb on basically everything. And he does. And guess what? We allow him to chat. We allow him, we, we conversate, we go back and forth. Listen, dude, like I have no problem with people that disagree and it is what it is. Like, it doesn't matter. It's like anything. Like you're going to have people that love you, people that hate you, people that agree, people you're never going to win everybody. And that's okay. Like this channel isn't about winning anyone. The channel is about providing you the information that I feel like is valuable to, to, to potential buyers out there from what I read, what Josh reads experience. Um, I've made mistakes. Josh is, is perfect. Um, and you know, we try to bring that across to you guys and, and, and help you learn from it. Right. I mean, I made mistakes because there was a lack of actual teaching and learning, um, in the process and, and there still is, I mean, again, we talk about it all the time, the barrier to entry for a mortgage quote unquote professional and real estate expert realtor is very, very low. They can go sell you a house the day they get a license. And, and literally have no idea what they're doing. So the goal here is to provide you with enough information so that you can make the right decision. So, um, so Jeb, hold on. Yep. But, Hell just froze over. Graham and I agree on something, and I have a story that actually repre- represents this perfectly. So it is cap rates on real estate are roughly 4%. Now, let's, let's be honest about this. In high-priced areas, like we are here in Southern California, right. 10-year yield is approaching that very quickly. Well, it it hit it last night and backed off from it very quickly. We'll see where it goes from here. Why would a landlord, why would a landlord for 4% when they can just click a button and buy a bond and yield 4%? So here I was asking myself this question just this morning. I have a client 
He wrote an offer for $1.3 million, 20% down, loses out in multiple bidding situation. And he calls me last night pissed. He goes, you are not going to believe that we lost that bidding war to a cash buyer who just put a renter in that property. So that is your perfect example there, Graham. I'm saying the same thing. If I can buy a 10-year treasury for 4%, why would I want to buy a house and, and tie my money up, have to deal with landlording? And the yield on this, it was like, it does rent for a lot, like 5,500. So the yield was like 5.5%, um, but that's gross. I mean, once you factor in taxes, expenses, maintenance, upkeep, all that fun stuff. And then you also have some tax benefits. There's reason, but long way of saying, it doesn't make sense to me. I wouldn't buy retail at that price in this market but there are people out there doing it and there's, there's probably more of them than any of us consider, but that's a real thing. Like I, I, you have to be willfully ignorant and not listen to the show to think that we're sitting here saying everyone should buy a house. Everyone should jump in, go listen to the episode of the podcast where it's buyer rent. Everyone over a lifetime should buy their home. So to Grant's previous incorrect point, 46% is what a renter pays of their income an owner pays in the low 20s. So half of that- it's like 22%? Is, is, it, is it magic? No, it's not magic. It's fixing your cost and letting inflation work for you over time. So the answer is everyone over a lifetime should become a homeowner to fix their housing cost. But that doesn't mean everyone should buy now. And it doesn't mean that this is a market where a rube just walks in and goes, hey guys, I got 3% down. I think I just want to roll in and buy a house. You've got to be careful. And again, willfully ignorant if you show up here and spend hours making comments as if we're saying everyone should be jumping into the market. I feel your pain. We've had like five or 10 comments today of people that are well qualified. They're like, I'm getting priced out. It, it's, you know, it, again, we talk, it goes back to supply and demand and what can impact supply and demand, willing demand, able demand, those interest rates. Again, if you believe unemployment's going to double digits and rates are going to stay in the high single digits or go into the low double digits, you are 100% correct. There is no argument with that. I don't believe that to be true. Right. And the numbers bear that out. No, and, and, and to Dan's point here, yeah, I think Graham was more talking about an investment strategy, not a, a personal residence, right? Personal residence, like buying for yourself, your family, that's a whole different mindset altogether. It's more of an emotional thing than it is a cap rate, right? Nobody talks about cap rates on personal homes because there's not one. You're paying the mortgage um, unless you're buying some sort of multifamily property, living in one and renting out the other. So uh, to Dan's point, yeah, we're, we're talking strictly about investment when we talk about that cap rate and, um, and the bond yield. So uh, let's see here. Um, let's see. Let's see. What do we got? What do we got? Um, uh, flash the lights got a good question how hard is it for an investor to assume an owner occupied fha mortgage and maybe you can talk about what that even means josh uh would the investor have to move in as a primary and then rent it out uh in six to 12 months so, so um go ahead this i'm gonna plead ignorance on on this and and let's research it this week and come back and get him the correct answer fha loans are absolutely assumable mm -hmm. And my, they just never come up and we don't get involved. You would go directly to the servicer. You would never deal with a loan officer on that situation. Um, I, my understanding is an investor can assume it and they don't have to own or occupy, but that could be hundred percent wrong. So let's, let's research it and, and come back and get the answer. Josh, congrats guys. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. It's funny. Like th there was, there was a property recently that I was looking at for a client. Um, uh, 
people are still buying homes. It's crazy. Um, and in the comments, it basically said that the owner had a, like a three and a quarter percent FHA loan uh, that was assumable. Um, so I thought, hell, that's I mean, that's interesting. Like if you can qualify for that three and a or three and a three and a quarter percent, whatever it was, substantial, like significantly lower. I mean, even once you add on the MI uh, than today's rate. So it could be worth considering in that in that regard. Uh, but my clients were buying it for cash and other things. So it didn't really work out, but um, it's a good thing to note if you're an agent because somebody might go that route if they can qualify. Um, dad, dude, my dad's here. Um, no, not really. Uh, I'm currently selling my house as a VA loan holder. Is there any type of leverage I can play with since rates are discouraging people from jumping into the market? Thanks. Um, you can offer seller buy downs. Um, you can offer credit towards closing Jeff, costs for them to buy down. So, no, no, here's the, here's the fun part. He oh, has a VA yeah. loan, and and you uh, we went through this a couple of weeks ago. A non-veteran can assume a VA loan. It's oh, assumable, wow. and it can be assumed by a non-veteran. I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze on that one. The reason being is you can since they're not a veteran oh, they, 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 can't they lose their eligibility their entitlement that's right that's so your right. entitlement stays locked up you can be released from liability so it's their loan and you're no longer liable for the loan but you can't get your entitlement restored but you know if you're 70 years old and you own another residence i'm not saying you are dad it's not my dad by the way it's someone's dad um if you're 70 years old and you don't care you own another home you're never going to use your va loan again it might be a great option but yes, it's assumable. It's assumable by non-veterans, but your entitlement will remain locked up as long as they have that loan, which, you know, with that VA loan, I, I did one as low as a 30-year fix at 1.875. That could be so low that no one would ever refinance that loan away. No, good stuff. Charlie says, new listener, enjoy the show. So we appreciate you being here. Um, let's see. I saw one just a second ago that was interesting. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Um, I don't Jeff, know. there was actually a question. Someone followed up on the question of um, seller credits and what to do yep. with it. Um, I, I don't remember where it is, but they said, is it better to use a seller credit to buy down my rate or to pay my closing costs? And it goes back to what do you believe is going to happen in the future? If you believe rates are going to stay elevated, do the buy down because then you're going to have roughly your break even if if a, on a normal rate sheet which we talked about multiple times tonight we don't have normal rate sheets right now but it's about a five four and a half to five and a half year break even on buying down your interest rate so if you think rates are going to remain at this level or higher for the next four and a half to five and a half years go ahead and buy down the interest rate if you think we're going to get a refinance opportunity in the next two to three years then go ahead and use it to pay your closing costs and don't incur the expense of uh, a buy down. Um, and again, know your loan type. Someone uh, in the comments had pointed out that if values go down, you can't refinance. A VA loan can be refinanced without an appraisal. An FHA loan can be refinanced without an appraisal. And last time we had a 25, 30% downturn, we also had the ability to do refinances on Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans that were underwater. So um, again, if you get your dream and we have a 20 to 30% uh, turn, turn down in home prices, I'm pretty darn sure the government's going to step right back in and go, yes, you can refinance your rates. Um, yeah. And, and unfortunately, the, I mean, that's the world we've created, right? Where the, the, the world, the government's going to got to step in at this point to, to help because they've created a society. I mean, like really, I mean, 
you know, they, they've created a, an economy and a society that really relies on the help that they've provided. Without it, it would be we'd be in a world of trouble. Um, exactly why at some point they'll reduce rates and give QE to, to, to help stimulate the economy because that's what they do. Uh, but on to um, different things here. Hey, oh, here Jeff, that was the question, right? To- this is the one you were talking yeah, about. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good stuff. So, Jeb, we we need to get back to trying to get sponsors. Um, a Aguas comes in and says, oh, element, yes. "Element tastes great." So, if we could get that Element sponsorship, get uh, some free all boxes. sorts of high says they are. Yeah, no, they are. Yeah, so um, yeah, good stuff. We'll uh, we'll 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 uh, we'll have our our uh, our brand manager reach out to him, Josh, and see if we can get him on board. By the way, we need a brand manager. So, if you're one of those, we need you too. Um, Let's see. Let's see. Um, here's one. Kevin, I heard lenders are bringing back no income, no asset proof loans back again. Is this true, Josh? So um, some sort of no doc loans have been around for a couple of years, but they require some some big down payments. Right. Is there any out there? I mean, there are right there. There are. And the funny thing is there's a government carve out. So it's important to remember under the qualified mortgage rules, you have to prove the ability to repay. So any loan like you're talking about involves not having the ability to repay. So most of the lenders that make those insist that it not be a primary residence because you can do loans on non-primary residents for investors that they don't show the uh, ability to repay. So um, there are they're out there, but they require really high credit scores they require big down payments and they come with big interest rate premiums. So very few people like the volume of them being done is so small and it's generally for very savvy investors. I almost put it in the category of, I have a friend who does a lot of foreign national loans. She actually advertises in Mexico city. Um, the type of people she's dealing with and the type of people who are doing those type of loans, high net worth individuals, they don't think twice about putting 40 or 50% down and they don't care that it's a 10 or 11% interest rate. It just, it's the cost of doing business and getting what they want. It's not something that's going to impact the market in any major way for you guys. No, good stuff. Um, Wesley says, when are you going to start selling good stuff t-shirts? Actually really soon. So um, I actually sent, uh, hired, sent some stuff out to a guy today to create some, some design. So I would say within two weeks, maybe a week, we'll see. Um, let's see here, Josh. This is a question for first time home buyers. It is difficult to buy a home from last year till it was high competition and bidding now can't afford. Will 2023 be good? So I don't know, man. I, I also like I did this question is like one of those that stump you. I think I think what you see going forward is less home sales overall. Um, until something happens one of two ways. You gotta have lower interest rates. Um, either to to stimulate buying again, and or you need some supply to come to the market to to balance it out. Um, and I don't and or wage increasing, right? And so I think maybe the next couple of years you see some stagnation, if you will, in in real estate. Um, but there's people out there predicting, you know, that we'll see, we'll still see some increases. There's people out there predicting we're seeing decreases. I, I don't, I don't have an answer. Yeah. And then will, will 2023 be good? I, I go back to our answer of you need to determine is now the right time for you uh, and your family to become a homeowner. Like, here's the thing. Um, the Historically, what I've always said is um, 
up market, down market doesn't matter to a homeowner who wants to remain a homeowner. If you sell a $500,000 house and buy an $800,000 house, yes, it, any percentage downturn is going to hurt more on the $800,000 home, but you want to be a homeowner, so it doesn't matter to you. But for a first-time home buyer, it absolutely matters where that entry point is and what it sets for you going forward. So you have to have a timeline of, of five plus years, preferably at least seven, where you'd be like, I just want to own a home and I'm comfortable with these numbers. I'm not settling or buying something that I want to be out of in, in 18 months. Um, so here's the question. I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. Um, probably shouldn't, but I'm going to, uh, you know, it says and the only reason, because like the negative comments, right. But I think this comment we can, we can talk about um, the credit spread between the 30 year uh, mortgage backed securities and the 10 year U S treasury increased to 200 basis points since June. It's actually before that, wasn't it, Josh? Way uh, before over, that, and these yeah. numbers, these numbers yeah. are, are not. No, not but hold on, but we're, we're gonna we're gonna actually use real numbers here and talk about this. Um, it, it, since June, over the nominal hundred basis points, the the MBS market is telling you there's a risk uh, premium to mortgage-backed securities. So, so again, there, is, Jeb. One thing here: there's a hundred percent telling you there's a risk premium. Yes, and the commenter right. has no idea what risk is being priced in there. Right. So let, let's talk. Let's actually talk about that, Josh. So what's the typical spread historically uh, between the, the, the 10 year and um, mortgage backed securities? It's like one point seven. Right. Or something like that. I think it's a little less than that. It's in the okay. one four, one five. Range let's go. Let's go one seven. Let's go one seven just to be yeah. on the high. If we take a 10 year average of where that spread has been. Right. So that means if if interest rates are trading at four um, percent hypothetically, then you would have a 10-year treasury at 2.3%, roughly, right? Um, and so what you have at the moment is you have a 10-year treasury that's pushing, to, as of right now, 3.7%, um, and you got interest rates at 6.7% or so. So you got a, about a 3% spread at the moment, um, which is way higher than, than that historical average of, say, 1.7%. Now, Explain what the risk there is and why maybe the, the, the premium is there, Josh, because I think it's important for a lot of people don't care, but I think it's important to, to know this stuff because you see comments like that in there yeah. and somebody comments on it and you might read it and, and you might have some knowledge of what that means and think, okay, that's, but the numbers weren't correct, even though the idea, the idea is, is correct. The idea, the the idea is correct. The numbers, the numbers are wrong. The, right. the current spread is even bigger than he said, and the historical spread is higher than what he spread. So right. the risk that investors are pricing in, when you buy a treasury security, there is no prepayment risk. It is going to run for three years, five years, seven years, the duration of that. So as an investor, you say, I'm buying a 4% 10-year treasury. I'm getting 4% for the next 10 years in Graham's previous example. With a mortgage, there's prepayment risk. So when do loans get prepaid? They get prepaid when rates drop. So if you're saying, hey, I'm buying mortgage-backed securities with a 6.5% coupon, this is awesome. Well, with a 6.5% coupon, when the, the market is not believing that inflation is going to run that high and the rates are going to go 10-year drops and interest rates drop, you have massive prepayment risk. So you see that spread simply due to prepayment risk. There's very little risk in owning agency mortgage-backed securities. I know all you guys watch the big short and think you've got it all figured out. But if you go back, those were subprime assets that all sorts of trickery in there. So agency mortgage-backed securities 
Um, you're looking, you're looking at your weighted average coupon, your weighted average FICO, your weighted average LTV, and all of those have mortgage insurance. And then also since the last downturn, the they've actually insured the whole thing and stripped out some of the risk and sold it off to investors who want a higher yield. So they're the ones likely to take the biggest risk off those. So the risk premium has absolutely nothing to do with investors going, hey, I think the market's gonna drop. I don't wanna own mortgage-backed securities. They're saying, I don't want mortgage-backed securities because I think interest rates are gonna be lower two, three years down the line and all my loans are gonna get blown out. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, really important question, Josh. What's going on with that that that, that hair, Curly? Morris gets the question of the night. I, I love how it was not what's going on with the curly hair. It's what's going on with that hair, Curly. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Hey, Morris, bro. Morris curly. wins the question of the night. Um, let's see here. Dina says, question. First time homebuyer, someone who didn't buy a home in the last three years. Does that help you? Um, yeah, no. Um, so yes, yes. Typically a first time home buyer is considered someone who hasn't owned a home, um, in the last three years. Um, you could have owned five homes. If you haven't owned one in the last three, typically you're considered that first time home buyer. Does that help you? It could, if you qualify for some of the programs out there that are geared towards first time home buyers. In my opinion, most of those um, programs are more of a marketing ploy. I'll use Bank of America, for example, in this whole uh, program that they came out with more of a marketing deal to, to act like they're actually doing something to help versus actually helping. Um, so in some areas, yes, there are first time home buyer grants. There are down payment assistance programs that work with first time home buyers and not owning one for three years could be beneficial in Southern California. You know, in California in general, there's not really uh, any real benefit that I'm aware of. Uh, but in some markets, yeah, it could help. So, so uh, hey, Jeb, I, I want I want to follow up here. here. Here's a comment. And going back to your question earlier, saying if you're seeing this, please send it to us. Am I correct? Elk Grove is is Northern California, Sacramento. Right? So Sacramento um, is one of the areas where we're yep. hearing. You know, Matt the mortgage guy was in here earlier. That's his home market. He does loans throughout the the country. But um, has, has told us some interesting stuff there. The Bay Area, we're seeing some interesting stuff in. So going back, if you see this and you see like 8%, I, still, like I still have a very hard time with those, those figures but, and someone. And again, Josh, I'm not crapping on those numbers. I, 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 they could legitimately be accurate, but here's yeah. what I want to ask. 8% down in home sales, 8% down in what, right? I showed you a newspaper article a couple of days ago that said 40% drop. Yeah. It said what? 45% drop in, in 40% drop in $48 million zip codes. That and was the headline. What I just so said, you're that and you go, what the, what does that even mean? What did they say? Well, I knew what it meant because I had actually seen another article that was talking about it. It just showed that 45% of the zip codes have actually had a price um, less sales in the, in those markets. Okay. That makes sense. That's not what the headline said though. The headline was very much that. So, um, and then there was somebody also in here last week talking about New York City. You know, I read an article recently, um, or actually some data uh, from Calculated Risk, and they do every month they do um, like an update on markets and inventory and what have you. And you could see like the month over month increases in inventory in certain markets. New York was one of those markets that inventory was still really, really low. And so people in here were talking about, I think it was New York a couple of weeks ago, they were talking about, well, I'm not seeing you know, any price reductions in New York, or I'm not seeing a lot more property. And we were like, well, we don't really know New York well enough to be able to comment on it. 
But when I saw that article, it, it made sense to me. Like you're not seeing it because the inventory in that market isn't growing. Um, you're seeing it in more of these markets where, yeah, they're getting a big increase in inventory and things are sitting and what have you, at which point you're, you're going to see some decreases. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's all a little bit different. Uh, let's see here, Josh, what, what time are we pushing here, buddy? Uh, 6.30. Hey, uh, there's, this was a really, really good question here. Yep. Derek, uh, Shane Rock, Showin Rock, um, would you recommend three to five year arm loans if we can get that lower rate and bank? This is the important part of the question. I'm emphasizing that bank on rates going down during that time. I believe very strongly in the next three to five years, we will have rates going lower. I would not recommend to the vast majority of home buyers to do a three or five year arm. Um, most lenders aren't offering three years. Five years is the short end of that horizon. Um, five years will pucker your ass. It's a short window. Um, so Ooh, that so sounds fun. I, I like to think in terms of seven to 10 years, I am very confident that you're going to have the ability to, to refinance the lower terms in the next seven to 10 years. And if you didn't, again, look back seven to 10 years in your life and go, how different does it look? Am I in a better place? Am I in a worse place? I look older, Josh. Older, older. Older, I'm less athletic. Things hurt when I wake up. Yes. I don't move quite as well as I did. My injuries stay with me. That's what seven years looks like, bro. Yeah. Yeah. And it looks like two more kids. Uh, That's what it looks like. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's only for breeders like you that to the seven years with two more kids. Hopefully in the future, we don't see two more for you. Oh God, dude. If it does, I'll be on here permanently. I'll just stream 24 hours a day. Um, question, Jeb, which towns in, in your part of OC have high homeowners insurance two times or more due to wildfires? Example, does Laguna Niguel or East Park Irvine have no, have high HOA? Um, I don't think Irvine does. Um, I don't know about Laguna Niguel, like high HOA. So, uh, oh, homeowners insurance, not HOA. Sorry, I, I read that incorrectly. Um, yes, like so a- areas like uh, Foothill Ranch, um, parts of like Rancho Santa Margarita, parts that are kind of on the outskirts, um, like Yorba Linda, um, parts that ha- are re- really fire prone. I mean, Laguna Beach could even have it uh, just because wildfires, are, while they're not common, they do have a history of, of being there every 10 or so years um, in some of these. Uh, yeah. And so th- those are the ones like a beach city, like, you know, where we are in Huntington Beach is not good. That's if a fire gets to us from there, the entire world's burning down. I mean, uh, but it's, you know, it's the areas that are kind of on the outskirts. So if you looked at a map um, of Orange County, if you will, you would you would see pretty clearly the areas that are that are fire prone um and and those would be be the areas that have higher homeowners insurance so um speaking of which if you're in florida probably not watching at the moment actually i saw anya earlier um i forget what market she's in but you know thoughts are with you guys if you're out there uh obviously you know big big storm coming through last i saw was like category four ish so hopefully uh everybody stays safe and uh and well out there so she said Gosh. Northeast Florida. She didn't say the city, but she said Northeast Florida. So, so somewhere near the coast. Yeah. So I think it's Northwest that's getting hit. I mean, I think it's all going to get rain, but you know, anyway. Is it coming um, up from the Gulf or is it on the, on um, the Gulf side? side, on the Gulf side? Um, let's see. Uh, Omar's still waiting for the Biden first time homebuyer credit. Uh, you'll probably hear about that first time homebuyer credit again when 
they're running for re-election um, again, it'll it'll come up and then it'll never come to fruition. Well, when we have the twenty to thirty percent downturns, we need to stimulate the housing market. Yes, exactly. I mean, the perfect time to do it. Uh, I'm trying to find something, Josh. Are you seeing anything, bro? Are you seeing anything? Are you seeing anything? Is it? Is yes. It... All right, here we go. What up, my dudes? What does it mean when a new home builder says they are buying down $10,000 on the rate? So we have heard about this, Josh. What, what does that mean? So it means they're giving you $10,000 to buy the interest rate down. And kind of going back, so we answered this question before, What's the benefit to the seller? It means they get to keep their highest their highest prior their price higher, while still giving you the payment benefit of a larger price reduction. Um, there, I, I doubt a seller. So there's two things you can do with it. It's really a closing cost credit. You can use it to buy the interest rate down, or you can use it to cover your closing cost. All depends on what you think is the direction of interest rates in the future. If you think they remain elevated buy down the interest rate and you have a permanent buy down uh, and have a lower rate. If you think rates are going to go lower and you can refinance in the future, you probably want to use it to, uh, to cover your closing costs and not have money tied up in your financing. Uh, let's see here. Um, what did, what did, let's see. I saw a comment. Um, Josh, where was it? I don't let's, see it. No, I did. One. We we have we have uh, an interesting one. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, no, that's the one I was going to click on. I, I lost it. Yeah, I didn't know you could like both of these. Um, quite frankly, um, one of the things he stresses is income versus home price ratio, which is huge. What are your thoughts? No, that's that's a real thing. Um, well, Jeb, yeah. Jeb, go, go back to what we talked about. Home price to income is much less important than house payment to Correct. income. Absolutely. So why were home prices at historically absolute highs 2020 and 21, but still going up at record levels? Because the home price, the home payments were low relative to household incomes. Right. Now prices have gone up. Rates are the highest we've had in, in 18 years, 20 years, whatever the number is, depending on the metric. Now you have really high payments to yeah. income. So we are at a stalemate here. Yes. Sellers are saying, That's I ain't problem, selling, right? I mean, I'm staying home. And buyers are saying, I can't afford to buy. Right. No, I, I, there's a video posting uh, on Friday um, about buying the median home price here in California. You know, it, it, the fact that it's at 16%, that's a problem, right? It, it's a problem. So what has to happen? Either wages have to increase, rates have to go down, and or home prices have to decline, right? And you might see all three happen. Um, but do you see home prices crash? I, that, that, I, I don't think so just for the, the things that we've talked about a hundred times in, in this episode, I think more of what you see is again, sideways movement because of that stalemate people have being locked into rates and then over time wages go up, right? I think what wages increase on average about what, 2%, 3% a year or something. What's the number. And, but over the last couple of years, it's actually been more than that, but I think the number is two, 3%, something like that. Um, so over time, you know, if, if home prices move again, closer to the trend, get back to that trend line by moving sideways, that allow wages to catch up again. And things are a little bit more in line. If rates come back down again, it helps that figure out as well. So there's a lot of what ifs and a lot of unknowns. I mean, I'm not sitting here telling you that I know, uh, the direction or, or can predict, uh, what happens. Cause I mean, that could be further from the truth. Uh, I just, I come from, 
Um, I try to come from less emotional type decision making in this whole thing and more logic. Just like when I work with clients buying houses, I try to take the, it's an emotional process for them. I try to provide, um, you know, logic to their situation to help them make informed decisions. Right. And that's always been the case. That's what we're trying to do right now is just provide some logic to it and, um, and, and let the chips fall where they may. So I don't really have much outside of that. I just, I would find it interesting in what you like about my channel. <laughs> if you like, I mean, honestly, I'm not being facetious. I'm being serious. Like, what do you find value in my channel? If you like his channel, like I'm not, I'm not crapping on him. Here's the thing, right? I don't, I don't like his content personally. I don't watch a lot of it, but I, I will say I don't, I don't care for it um, just because it doesn't, it doesn't help the the consumer, the, the buyer. Um, it's, it's more of a, again, that, that scarcity, that fear type of, of mindset putting on people. I respect the hard work. I respect um, the amount of content he's putting out. I respect the hustle. The guy's making a lot of money doing what he's doing, like a lot. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that guy's making a hundred grand a month off YouTube. Um, I just choose not to go that direction. Is he a good um, summit with you, Jeb? He's not. Um, but if he was, I, I would talk. I mean, like, I don't have hate towards anybody, you know, in this space. I just, I disagree with with the approach on some of the stuff, and that's that's okay. Like, there's people that don't like me and don't, and, and you know. If I worried about that, I wouldn't post videos because literally the comments are are either you love me or you hate me. And guess what? I'm good. I'm good either way. Like, guys, I'm going to sleep well tonight. Um, no, and actually probably a lot better after a couple of cocktails. I mean, it's that's, uh, but that, gonna, is the, that is the recipe. Like if you're creating content that's boring middle of the road, I mean, I and if and if 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 instead of me here, the Reventure dude was here, he'd tell you the same thing. I don't care. I don't care that people hate me. Because the people that like me like me, and I'm making money off my channel. It is it is what it is. Time will tell you what what's accurate and what what wins out. Like again, someone someone that wants to be argumentative here. Are you going to keep this channel going if the housing market crashes? Absolutely, because we're here to advise and help people work their way through it. This isn't perma bull. This isn't bullish. This isn't tell you buy a house. This is give you the data data you need to make informed decisions for and not manipulated companies. data like real data, like real data. Right. And you could say, hey, it's a data channel or whatever. But the reality is when you use data to make a point, but you don't actually give the full scope of the data and what the data really means, then either two things. One, you don't understand it or true. You're trying to make your point um, the only point without providing all the info. So with that, we're going to move on. Um, Josh, let's see. Hold on. Let's, we let's have a couple to more. answer this one because she's been patiently asking multiple yep. times and Jennifer told us to. Yep. All right. Uh, New Jersey homes are priced $200,000 and above. I really like to stay under that. Should I buy in another state? Potentially. I mean, like, so it's just tough. Like, right. So like my wife is from California, right? So she grew up in, in Irvine, um, went to school there. Uh, fortunately we bought a long time ago and, and we're in a position, to, you know, in a different position, but if you were to say today, if it, like she were growing up today and you look at what the average home in Irvine sells for and what it costs, it, it costs a lot of money to be able to buy that house. And so if you're not in a position to buy that home, um, you've got one of two options. You either rent or you move to a more affordable area and own a property. Personally, I like the idea of home ownership long term. It's okay to rent in the short term. You know, we talked about it before, like using a Dave Ramsey quote. It's like 
Rent is buying you patience. That's okay. But I know what real estate does long-term and I think it's important to own. So personally, I'd rather own a house in a different area than rent in a market forever um, that I couldn't afford. That's me personally. To you, that might be a different decision. Uh, so I think to each his own in, in that sort of thing. Josh, I know you yeah. probably have a comment on this. Yeah, no, like we have a, a really common example for us. In Orange County, um, even inland, people love to surf. Orange County is absurdly priced, but limited supply of homes, monster demand, people like to surf. So where have a lot of people gone? They've gone to Phoenix, they've gone to Vegas, they've gone to Texas. And to me, I say owning a home is more important than getting to surf. But I know a bunch of people that go, no, nope, nope, you are incorrect. I need to be near the ocean. I need to surf. And if that means I can't buy a home, and that's a personal decision, I can't shit on that. I mean, it's, if that's what it means to you to be happy, um, I get it. I can respect the decision. For me, I, I don't want to live in the desert, but I would go to Vegas or Phoenix or Texas before I would, I would be a renter in Orange County. Right. Yeah. No. Um <laughs> I have so many good things to say. I just like, I don't know where to, to hide them all. Uh, let's go. Let's see. Let's see. What so here's, got. here's the, here, okay. Let, we're going to make a comment. I, I, again, no renters were thrown under the bus. There is nothing wrong with renting. Dude, you're giving us way too much time. What is bro. wrong like, is when you're renting and you're, you're trolling other channels. Like, go find something to do with your dude, life. Dude, channel, do here, here's the thing. It's a Wednesday night, bro. Depending on where you're located, if you're in the U.S., it's somewhere between 6.43 at night and 9.43 at night. And you're on the internet on somebody's chat you don't want to be in commenting. That tells me a lot about you as a person. Not and about record. And you Not can take record. that however you want to take it. And I'm, I'm getting that you're probably going to take it negative, and that's exactly how I meant it. Hey, good job, buddy. I sleep good, bro. I sleep so well. My wife gets pissed how good I sleep. Like, head hits the pillow without in like three minutes. Meanwhile, she's over there, bro, trying to put her head up to sleep, rocking back and side to side. Me, rim five. I don't know. Just in there, bro, deep. Uh, let's see here. Let's see. What do we got? What do we got? Where are we at? Where are we at, Josh? Let's get one more. Let's get one more question. We're well, both here, in hotel we, rooms. Let's we, let's we, end this. We made that girl wait, uh, or it could be a guy. The She's Luscious Beauty Bar. We made him wait. Darren follows through his Midwest suburbs and states like Ohio, Indiana, Wisconsin have plenty of homes for sale in the hundred to hundred eighty thousand yeah. dollar range. I paid one sixty five for a three bedroom home in rural Illinois. Get out of oh, Jersey. Shit, my bad. I I just clicked on. <laughs> Sorry, Dude. Darren. It goes back. It's it's the same answer though. What do you value? Do you value owning a home? And again, there's there's other pieces that come into it. Do you have kids and you need to be be near family that helps with childcare, or you just want them to be around their grandparents? There's more to it. It's not literally just as simple as hey, I want to be by the beach or I want to be near the city. Um, there's there's uh, reasons for it, but there are plenty. Nearly anyone can own a home you may make a choice to not live in an area in an area where the homes are affordable. And I understand it and respect it if you do. 
Uh, this is we're ending on this, bro. This is so good. Josh looks like he's about to bust a kickflip on a skateboard in front of the homies outside of a 7-Eleven at 11 a.m. on a school night. Uh, 11 p.m. on a school night. But either way, it's all good. Um, so, guys, a lot's happening in the market. We're here every week, again, to answer questions. Um, we appreciate you being here. And hell, I know there's a lot of people here that own homes and still show up every week to support. I appreciate that. Um, I know Josh does as well. Uh, you know, if you need something we didn't even talk about this week, uh, if you need, you know, a lender or real estate agent anywhere in the country, there's a link right there. You can click to get that. There's a logo. If you saw in the top of the, the, the channel, that's been there all night, educated home buyer podcast. I'm actually wearing the shirt, uh, at the moment, go check out, you know, go check it out. Uh, again, every Tuesday, typically, um, we try to make every Tuesday work. Uh, in fact, we need to record for next week. Um, we're, so, we're supposed to do that this morning, Jeff. Yeah, neither of us are in town. So uh, go check go check it out and uh, show us some love. And let us know what you want to hear about. If you haven't done so already, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel. You know, let us know what you want to hear. We, we, you know, again, we're here hey, to educate, provide value. Yep. Jeff, I, I think this is the second time this person asked this question. I think it's yeah. a good one. Okay, let's do um, it. Stop oh, removing the question when I post <laughs> it. I'm going to kick you out of your own <laughs> Would you recommend selling a previous primary residence to capture the 500K um, uh, gains, uh, capital gains exclusion in a market like this? Old house, 800,000 equity, and a 275 mortgage rate. Where are you going to go? No, no. I, 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 I don't think you saw. He commented before. They've already gone. Uh, Donald, correct me if I'm wrong. You've already gone and bought. They own their residence. So he's saying they have a, a, oh, a, ticking, I got you. a, a, a ticking clock on being able to sell uh, it. I got you. I got you. Um, <laughs> it's a good It's a good question. Um, Jeb, think, let me answer you think about it for a second. Yeah. Because I just went through this. My wife and I were talking earlier today. What are the range of potential outcomes? Does that impact in any way any of the real estate that we own? It's all financed with interest rates anywhere from 0% to 3.25%. It's all real estate that I want to own uh, over the long haul. It's all real estate that even if rents dropped 40%, our cash flow positive. So we looked at that and go, no. So like there's, it, it is what it is. Our, our long-term plan, my plan of anything is to accumulate more real estate. Realizing we talked earlier today about yield and what that means, but what it means is I'm not buying out of the MLS. I'm not buying $1.3 million homes we're looking at buying from private parties who are either going to sell or carry, do a subject to give us a property like the one that I bought last year in Orange. The house was literally destroyed. Those are the things I'm looking at, at buying. Um, so when I hear this and I say 800 in equity, yeah, you can get the money out of the house, but it's at 2.75. For us, if it were if the house were in California, one of the things for us to consider all of the properties I own have really low tax bases right. and we're capped with Prop 13 at 2%. So cash flow wise, I love them. We're going to keep them all forever. But does that apply to you? If you're in another state, take the, the property tax piece out of the equation. How much do you owe? 800000 of equity, but you didn't say, is it a 1.6 house or is it a $900,000 house? If you have a $100,000 loan at 2.75, that's a little bit of a benefit. If you have a $500,000 loan at 2.75, that's a big benefit. Yeah, and you're gonna pay. I mean, you're gonna pay three hundred thousand dollars potentially on that excess. I mean, depending on what you bought it at, right? I mean, so um, eight hundred thousand in equity. How much is is capture there? Um, because if the if part of it's capture, 
you got to consider that too. Um, I, I'm with Josh. I mean, you can always keep the property, rent it out, take a home equity line, pull the cash if you need it for another opportunity. Um, you know, I, it, again, I, I think owning, if you don't need the cash, why? I mean, that's my whole thing. I think there are other ways to tap into that if you need it. Um, and owning real estate at that rate, probably chances are it's going to produce a pretty good income. Um, every month on on rent because um, we don't even know what it's worth, but I got to imagine even at 800k, it's going to produce a decent amount of uh, of income. So, you know, hard to say, man. Hard to say without knowing 100 percent like what what the payment is, like what what's going on there. there I think there's some more details that we probably need to to dive yeah. into. Yeah, but so, that's, in general, those are things we would look at. So, Jeff, one <laughs> one here, flash of light. You could buy a house in Riverside and rent a bedroom in West LA to buy time. That two-hour daily commute in the 91 is no bueno. For those of you who are outside of California, this is no joke. I've had at least five clients. Like we talk about, should you own a home in a lifetime, most people should become homeowners. I've had many people who work in LA and make good money, but are priced out of LA um, or Orange County. And they decide to buy deep in the Inland Empire. And generally, this is like Victorville, um, high desert area. And I've had five of them buy out there and sell because they told themselves they could do the commute and just couldn't do it. So there's, there's a lot of things to consider. Like this is no joke. Like, and I'm sure it's not any different if you're in New York, New Jersey and commuting into the city, like you've got to consider, don't talk yourself into buying a house and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to be cool with a two hour commute each way. You're not, it will eat your life. Yeah, no, I mean, again, it, live where you want to live because it, really, if you, you're going to regret the hell out of it. Um, it's all about location. It always has been. It always will be for resale, for living there. I mean, it's okay to make sacrifices, but sometimes the sacrifices are can be a lot. So anyway, that's where we're going to end it this week. I see some chats talking about some conversations, asking about 2-1 buy-downs. Uh, Abs is asking about it. Actually did a video on it. It's going to be posted, I think, next week probably. Um, so check it out. We dive into it. We actually talked a little bit about it earlier in the broadcast. If you want to go check that out, this will be on the educated home buyer podcast this week, um, at the end of the week. So if you want to hear the full transcription on Friday, it'll be uploaded. I hope. Um, so you can go check that out. And until then guys, we, uh, we will see you later. Josh, any, any outgoing words, my friend? No, I'm going to go down to Bobby's Burgers, Bobby Flay, get myself a burger, probably going to have a couple more Medellos, and then uh, my business partner is, is flying in from Austin. For some reason, he thought it was appropriate to come in at 10 o'clock at night. So oh, it's genius. Got, got a long night ahead of me. Well, I'm actually going to go play uh, Uno um, in a $40,000 Uno tournament here and try to beat Mr. Beast or something like that. I don't know what's going on. I like it. Uh, but anyway. All right, guys. Adios. We appreciate you being here. Appreciate the support. Hit the like, follow us, give us love. Thanks for listening to The Educated Homebuyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.